How are you feeling? Is your stomach still in a knot? Have you, have you been able to sleep at all this week? Are you feeling sick, but you're pretty sure it's not COVID? Well, I think that's normal. This week has been a roller coaster of emotions. And for some of us, that makes the week pretty exciting. But for most of us, it's been pretty stressful. Now, at the time of filming this sermon, the results of the presidential election have yet to be determined. Perhaps by Sunday, we'll know enough to be able to declare a victor with some degree of certainty, which I'm sure will bring a whole new set of emotions with it. But we also may still live in the liminal space of post-election uncertainty and chaos, even if the results are in. And I'm under the impression that the battle for the White House will continue for weeks, if not longer. So, where does that leave us? The election didn't resolve the tension and division in the country, and I think it actually only highlighted it. I think we all realize that whoever wins, our nation's problems aren't going to magically disappear. In fact, whatever tension and fear we may have been feeling leading up to Election Day may actually intensify in the coming months. So how are we to live if this is not just a moment, but an entire season? We are in the last week of our sermon mini-series where we are looking at the story of Gethsemane during the hour of Jesus' arrest that he himself describes as the hour when darkness reigns. Now, the fascinating part of this passage is that through it, we are privy to the moment in biblical history when the story of Jesus comes to its heightened state of tension and fear, which I think mirrors how many of us might feel right now. It's very relevant to us because in this tense moment of Gethsemane, we see all the same reactions that Americans are faced with in light of our current political climate. The disciples fall into many of these very understandable temptations. The first week we talked about the disciples falling asleep and the temptation of escapism, of being in denial and running away from the darkness of the world around us. Emotionally, the sorrow that the disciples felt was a lot to handle, and so they fall asleep. When Jesus calls them to stand in the middle of that darkness and pray, Last week, we talked about the revolutionary Judas and his loss of faith and the temptation to stop trusting God's presence when circumstances are going horribly wrong. His betrayal wasn't a sign that Judas was evil, but a symptom of being unable to wait for God's plan to unfold. These are both things that we are faced with today. Now, these temptations, they aren't evil, they're perfectly understandable reactions to the fear and anxiety that comes with these tense, critical moments. I can understand and relate to the disciples, not not wanting to deal with the sorrow they were feeling. I can understand and relate to Judas's loss of faith in a leader he thought would bring about much-needed political change. This week, I want to talk about the last temptation we see in this passage the temptation for the sword. Let's start by looking at Luke chapter 22, just before Jesus and the disciples head out to Gethsemane. 
when they are still in the upper room and Jesus gives the disciples these last words of preparation before heading into the garden. Starting from verse 35, it says, Jesus asked them, When I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, But now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressor with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, he replied. And last year in our series, The Extraordinary Neighborhood Church, we talked about this passage in Luke 10 that Jesus is referring to, where he sends out 72 of his followers into the surrounding towns and villages. And he tells them not to take any bag or purse or sandals as they visit these communities. But now Jesus has a different set of instructions. Here, Jesus encourages the disciples to make sure they take these things. And he adds one more item to the list, a sword. It's like he switches tactics. In Luke 10, you got the sense that nothing was needed because God would provide everything that was necessary. But here, there's this sense that whatever was about to happen needed extra preparation and caution. This must have really started to worry the disciples. Now imagine that Jesus all of a sudden tells you to pack a bag, grab some money, and bring a sword. You definitely start to wonder, what are we preparing for? Are we going to have to flee town? Are we going to have to fight? All of this after talking about his own betrayal and his own blood being poured out. Can you imagine how anxious and scared the disciples must have been? And so the whole group of them, they they head over to Gethsemane. And of course, they take a nap, as we read before, from the sorrow they were feeling. And as Jesus is waking everybody up from falling asleep, Judas, Judas approaches with a crowd from the temple. And they're carrying weapons. The tension in the air is thick. Everyone realizes that one wrong move could result in bloodshed. The disciples are anxious from the tension of a possible fight. They're scared for what might happen to Jesus. And now they are angry, seeing their friend Judas, who has betrayed their leader, and come to have him arrested. And if you're one of the disciples carrying these swords, you've got to be thinking, This must be why Jesus told us to bring him. In verse 49 through 53, it says this, When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him. Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. And the Gospel of John remembers the disciple with a sword, or one of them, to be Peter. He cuts off the right ear of the high, of the high priest's servant, Malchus. Now, Peter is a fisherman not a swordsman, and 
If so, then the type of precision it would take for him to aim and slice off just one right ear, I don't think so. I don't think he was that skilled. I think maybe Peter missed that this wasn't supposed to be just a warning shot. That Peter was reacting in violence and trying to do maybe something even more severe. Now everyone in that crowd was carrying a weapon. The mob had come for Jesus and Peter just wasn't going to let this happen. He was going to protect his unarmed friend and he was going to fight for what he believed was right. Totally understandable and pretty noble too. Think about what Peter must have been feeling. Scared, nervous, angry, overwhelmed, and perhaps even a bit powerless, seeing that his friend and leader was about to get unjustly arrested by this mob of people. The situation is a powder keg, and Peter may have just been like, I gotta, I gotta do something. And so he grabs the sword and he strikes out in violence. But you see, Peter is us. Feeling all these intense emotions, feeling trapped and out of viable options, this is the current state of our nation. Now you might be saying, but it's weird because Jesus actually told the disciples to bring a sword. It's true, he did. When the group is still in the upper room, Jesus, he seems like he's sensing the rising tension. And it appears that he's preparing the disciples for some sort of chaos to erupt. See, I think Jesus at this point is, he's actually not quite sure what's going to happen. He senses everything headed toward maybe this one volatile apex and emotions may be triggered. People might explode in violence and unrest. And so Jesus is just trying to prepare. And it isn't until he prays in the garden that something actually changes. He goes into the garden on edge, Jesus, and he's preparing for the worst, equipping his followers to be ready to fight or take flight. But then he prays, and something must have happened as he spent time with the Father. Because when the opportunity actually comes to fight, to defend themselves against Judas and the crowd, Jesus changes his mind. Peter slices off Malchus's ear. And Jesus says, no, no more of this. And he picks up that ear and heals him. I think in this, Jesus shows us what it looks like to follow God, even in the most intense of situations. Like us all, he feels the fear and anxiety. He senses the need to prepare and even is tempted to consider the sword as a possible course of action. But then Jesus stops and listens to God and in obedience decides to put his faith and trust in God's plan. And when he emerges from prayer, Jesus knows he didn't come here to fight these people. He came here to heal them and he picks up the ear and reattaches it to Malchus. And what is even more profound, Jesus doesn't just use his healing power on his own people, he uses it on a man who would be his enemy. This is what our nation needs right now. Everyone is divided and if there's one thing the election taught us is that this country is split down the middle. And if you're like me, 
Of course, you have a strong opinion of who should win and why. And if we're like Peter, we have a sense that each of us is fighting for something that's good. I think it's good and right to fight against systemic injustice that we see in our country and to have an opinion about, about this election. But Jesus didn't use the sword as a tool for that fight. And I think Jesus calls us to follow him in that. Some of you might be thinking, hey, I don't own a gun or have a weapon. Or maybe physically, you might be thinking, I'm incapable of being in a fist fight right now or being successful, a victor in a fist fight. Physical violence might not be possible for you, for your personal situation. But in the age of social media, a lot of us, we're pretty good at verbal violence too. Now, I'm not here to lay out a list of what you can or can't do. I'm just here to point out the path that Jesus took. And I think this is the path that we're invited to follow if we want to follow him. Jesus was a healer in the most volatile of moments. He loved his enemy in the most tense and unjust hours of his life. And in this hour when darkness reigned, he was the only one to be a source of light. Election day has come and gone with a few instances of unrest and I think that's great. But we all know that the tension is still here as votes are counted and then contested. And we know that this is a longer season we have to endure in the next few months maybe, leading up to Inauguration Day in January. Some of our fellow Americans may unfortunately result to the sword in this time. But that's not our call. That's not who we are. You see, we're the children of God, the followers of the crucified and risen Christ. And even when darkness reigns, we are called to be a source of light.